first of all, I just don't want to ask you fucked up questions. Well, if I do, just evade it or be like, just shut it down. Like that's fucked up. Just shut it. that shit down <laughs> so fast. What's your favorite food? <laughs> What's your favorite food? Um, okay, so my guest is Kelly Sherman. And she is also uh, one of my best friends, one of the most creative and intelligent human beings I've ever met in my life, um, and most recently the author of a book of poetry called The New World, which was super presciently titled because it came out right before shit really hit the fan in 2020. Yeah. Um, when that was kind of the expression um, first running through everyone's subconscious until they sort of had to painfully start understanding that we do need a new world um, consciously. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not going to get into the full details of Kelly's chart information, but I will say um, her major three, she is an Aquarius sun, she is a Virgo rising, and she is a Pisces moon. So um, currently we're in Pisces season and we're about to have a Virgo full moon. Um, and this podcast is, you know, it's the, the, it's my full moon podcast. And so the reason why I wanted to have you on, it was because of that Virgo energy that's coming in. Um, so your Virgo is your Virgo rising is at 14 degrees and this full moon will be, I think it's going to be later in like 27 degrees, but something that we need to know about Virgo, um, I say this literally about every sign, but I mean it every time I say it. I love Virgo. <laughs> I do too. It's served me very well. Yeah, I mean, one of the ways that I see it serving you is I feel like you are, you're so good at doing, like the doing stuff. You don't, like you're not a, a lazy, dreamy person. You are practical and boots to the ground, which is very Virgo. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say like, you know, every sign is going to have a dreamy energy to it, but what's great about Virgo is that energy knows how to do the diligent, like task mastering, um, work. And it knows how to attend to those like last details that transform something into a clunky idea into artwork, mm-hmm. right? Because there kind of is a hard line in between, like, this is some piece of shit that I'm tooling around with <laughs> to, like, this is, like, transformative and artful and, like, you're going to look at it and feel like you can't, you couldn't ever do it, Yeah, you know? And so you have that running hard in your chart with the Virgo, but... Also, you have a stellium in the sixth house, with which is where Virgo um, naturally resides in the zodiac. Mm-hmm. Not in your chart, but like just in the general zodiac, it's Virgo in six is sixth house. So, anyways, you have like a lot of that. Um, you have a lot of that like worker ability. Mm-hmm. 
So how do you feel about that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think what you said is right on. Like I feel most of the time my interior state is like, we laugh about it and say, use the term galaxy brain, but I feel like I can, if someone says something to me in conversation that hits this specific combination of neurons, my brain literally is just like, like off in a totally different place. I've left the conversation. I'm like thinking of, I'm totally- You can buy her Omo pottery locally or on her website at- Omo.studio. Omo.studio, which is, it's a beautiful website. Her work is beautiful. She partners with her, okay, this is redundant. She partners with her partner, Jay. (laughs) And, um, but so that you're literally creating with mutable earth using Mm. clay. But then I just thought of, um, a writing project that I've seen you work with a lot is, um, you once worked as on a weed farm. Yeah. And there is an association. Um, Virgo is also associated with like plants and like wanting to nurture plants. Mm, I did not know that. Yeah, that's that. very Virgo. And so the fact mm. that you write about that time in your life um, is also very Virgo. Yeah. That makes me think of. So I, th- I actually think of the Virgo energy as being not opposed to like Aquarius or Pisces, that kind of more dreamy, like spacey energy. Mm -hmm. But I think of it as definitely being like two distinct parts of myself. So like Mm -hmm. the, uh, the Pisces moon or like the Aquarius sun is sort of like what I feel like is my identity. And then Virgo is this other separate entity that like (laughs) pops in from time to time to be like, hey, I'll take this and this and this and let's make a a book out of this. Or like, let's start, this is a way that you can sustain yourself, pay your own rent with all these thoughts and feelings you're constantly having. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That you're overwhelmed by. That I'm completely just, yeah, that I'm getting in the bath in the morning to just like (laughs) feel, you know, (laughs) just have them emanate through me. Um, So I'm so grateful for that because it really has um, served me in a lot of ways throughout my life and is basically the main reason why I have any sort of like arts career at all. Um, I would call Omo a business, Mm -hmm. although I feel very, I wish there was a synonym for the word business because I feel, Mm -hmm. you know, a little weird using that word. Um, But, but. But it is, you know, it was, ceramics was something that I went into after, toward the final editing stages of my first book, Popular Music. Um, I actually learned how to throw ceramics in high school, and then, and I loved it in high Mm -hmm. school. There's just, like, something about um, sitting and doing, like, meditative manual work with Mm -hmm. the hands that felt like it... um, kind of like shut down a lot of that over effusive, overindulgent, kind of like dreamy Aquarian Mm -hmm. vision, you know, it kind of, um, contained that stuff in a way and made me, um, I don't know, like made it a little more bearable or just muted it for a little bit Mm -hmm. while I could, um, meditate 
Mm -hmm. with the physical action. I think something that is misunderstood about Virgo is that because Virgo is so meticulous and it's kind of like the editor, um, there is this kind of image of Virgo as being the librarian with the many sticks up her butt, like, you know, just trying to be really controlling of everyone and just harshing everyone's mellow and not having any fun. Mm -hmm. But the reality of Virgo is she is, she's mutable. So she can roll with anything. And, um, the other, the other image that I have with the kind of Virgo, um, the way that she has been kind of, perversed in our culture is is like not just the librarian but the the sexy librarian right like she has a bunch of sticks up her butts but then if the right hot guy comes around oh and she God. takes those glasses off and lets down her hair then it's sexy time you know and it, she can only be seduced by kramer which we you know famously depicted in that episode of Seinfeld, The Public Librarian. <laughs> One of my favorites. I and I love that episode because I, like, I'll confess this on this podcast only, but I secretly find Kramer, like, to be so attractive, like, oh in the show, which I is know. so disturbing even to myself. But it's like, um, and so, yeah, that must have been, I must have recognized that, you know, that mousy librarian just waiting to be discovered by Kramer. I get that cuz I think like the thing about Kramer is that he's open to all possibilities, yes. right? He's not fixated in the here and now and the limits of, of the space-time continuum. <laughs> he's like he's like living in infinite possibilities yes. at all the times and so our inner restricted Virgo wa- needs that because that's how we connect to the divine. Absolutely. Um, okay, I felt the urge to ask you, um, when we were talking about the bookmaking process, I felt the urge to ask you about how do you feel after the book comes out, you've done that rigorous editing and the nurturing and the editing, and then the book is done, and then you have to go into promotion. Mm. How, how do you feel with that territory? Yeah, that's a really uncomfortable territory for me to be in. Um it's hard. It just feels very unnatural to me. Um, and also it feels, and I'm not saying that this is accurate, you know, but it feels to me as if the, the act of promotion or marketing is like doing an injustice to the book Mm -hmm. itself, which is, um, totally not going to work if mm-hmm. you want to be a writer you know mm-hmm. you have to get comfortable with that that aspect um of sharing your work and and you know sort of like being proud of it and and showing it in some way um that is something that I feel like I've been trying to figure out ever since we entered this reality of like the the artist as a person who needs to be constantly marketing or mm-hmm. constantly like reinforcing their brand whatever mm-hmm. that means you know I mean we live in this like weird age and I think we're kind of maybe um slowly moving on from this culture of the constant reinforcement of a personal brand the constant mm-hmm. like re 
returning to that reinforcement. Um, I want to believe that we're moving beyond it. I think our generation, like millennial, my generation, millennial generation, really um, got hit with that as a necessity Mm -hmm. in a way that other generations, older and younger, didn't quite have to face or deal with. And a lot of that, I think, just comes with the territory of, like, being of... um, employable age when these technologies were sort of hitting their their Mm -hmm. peak relevancy and and developing and sort of feeling like you needed to hop on to that Mm -hmm. train you know so I I feel like that my location and that sort of historical moment makes me feel really resentful Mm -hmm. of that um and sort of distrustful of like you know that whole um the grind set mentality or like needing to constantly be kind of putting your thing in someone's face. Also, we've talked mm-hmm. about the fact that, um, I, 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 uh, very much grew up on like the lingering cultural artifacts from, um, Gen X of yeah. like, reading ad busters and, and, you know, being like, Oh my God, Matt Taibbi, Rolling Stone, you know, yeah. we, these people who, uh, for me were sort of like, guiding lights in in showing me that some other belief system was possible um so a lot of my my feelings about that are probably located in that that culture and that generation as well um yeah i was gonna say that the there is a a resonance the way that you talk about that that does feel like my brand of gen x cynicism (laughs) yeah where i you know i feel like with gen x we just have these total blinders on that um you know kurt cobain had it right (laughs) and there's like no way to be seen where you're not selling yourself which fuck that like that's not true at all and that's so healthy and I love I feel like the millennials came in and they started dismantling that and now I feel like the Gen Z's don't even see it was you guys so systematically dismantled it but slash are still wrestling with it but then the Gen Z it's almost like they're totally blind to it and that's healthy we'll see how it's not healthy too because it's going to be both Um, but I'm I'm really interested in that option I think what it looks like, I think one of the ways that it looks like is the way that social media can make everyone feel famous. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to necessarily be famous outside of a circle of 15 people. Like, you feel famous. That's That's what the resonance of that is. Um, Whereas, like, with my generation... And we didn't have, like, we didn't have the internet until I was, you know, like, later on in high school, there was only, like, one weird (laughs) older dude dressing up, like, Peter Pan (laughs) on the internet. Like, that's what the internet was used for when I was a senior in high school. Um, But that, like, it's it's changed so radically, and the genie's not going to go back in the bottle. And so everyone kind of gets to experience their Leo. It's, it's really like Leo where I'm going to shine and I'm, I'm going to shine in an authentic way. I don't have to be the most knowledgeable on a subject. I don't have to, um, climb the, like the pyramid scheme and to get myself to the top in order to shine. I just get to like be this kind of 
innate weirdo that I am and, oh, film it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the director of my own programming. And that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I mean, it's necessary, um, not just in like a like a lizard brain, like you gotta get your stuff out there, you know, and that's what's gonna generate more opportunities for you. But just like, I feel like if you're a creative person, you have to experience uh, the feeling of other people engaging with what you've created and like reflecting back to you what it was or what it meant to them. And, um, and the only way that that can happen is if you share it, you know? So I'm trying to return constantly to that idea. Um, instead of just being like, Oh no, I'm bothering everyone by telling them about this thing, you know, or like I'm, Mm -hmm. people are so distracted and like, Mm -hmm. you know, suffering, thinking of all these, you know, struggling in their own ways that I'm not going to drop in here and be like, Hey, yo, like you want to buy a (laughs) coffee cup? (laughs) But, um, but you know, like sometimes, I don't know, I appreciate those opportunities to celebrate other people and support them. And it's, but it's hard to remember that for yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I want to talk about your Aquarian energy because the nature of what you create, and I also feel like one of the reasons why you're you're skeptical of doing the self-promotion is comes out of your Aquarian energy. You have a stellium in um, Aquarius, which means stellium is usually defined as three or more planets. Um, So you have your sun conjunct Venus and Jupiter and Mercury. So that's like you're, there's a lot of processing of reality that wants to get filtered through the Aquarian experience. Mm -hmm. And Again, I'm going to say, as I say with every sign, I love, I love Aquarius <laughs> because I feel like Aquarius, Aquarius to me is the place in our charts where we understand some shit that the people around us don't know yet. The experience of having information before everyone else is always going to be isolating in a way. And so the Aquarian always stands apart a little bit from the group. And because they got the download a little bit before everyone else, that naturally inculcates this shepherd quality where you understand you can't explain what I I just received this information and I can... I can't explain it to you. There's no way that I can say it. You just have to, you're going to have to experience it yourself. So all I can do is like stand apart weirdly and work on this thing over here, but also, you know, like dart my eyes sideways every once and again to see what you're up to because I do care about what your experience is. Yeah. Um, but in order to not go crazy, I can't like stand, I can't stand here and wait for you to get it. Yeah. So it's always an isolating experience. And then the, if the experience that other people are having of the Aquarius is that they know something that, you know, that person knows something I don't know yet. And so they seem a little weird. Mm -hmm. Like there's like a weirdness to it. They're in a different reality. They're cast in a different kind of light. And, um, that 
energy is oppositional to Leo, which Leo doesn't give a fuck what they look like, how anyone's experiencing them, because it's just joyful, you know. Whereas the Aquarius, they're extremely, they're extremely aware, and other people are, are aware of them. But one of the ways, this is all a circuitous way of like getting around to. I was laughing about how, um, so Kelly and I, we met in our MFA program, and hit it off instantly. Like instantly, we were like, "Yeah, I like your energy. Like, I, you get it. This is fucking weird. What are we doing here? <laughs> um, maybe it'll be helpful. We'll see." <laughs> Um, but I feel like it took us a long time to kind of come together. Yeah. It was a very, very slow process. Even though when we get together, it's we both galaxy brain the fuck out, <laughs> totally entertained by whatever weird, crazy thoughts are happening. Absolutely. Do you think, like my thought, because I'm a Scorpio, is because I inherently trust nothing. <laughs> I love that. Love that stance. Probably why you're such a trustworthy person to me in my field of vision. I'm like, Suzanne can be trusted because you've like, you've scanned and assessed it all. And you're like, default position is you're not coming in unless I grant you access, which I'm like, I really need that. You know, that's a good person to have in your (laughs) field for sure. (laughs) That I... I like that. I like that. I think that that's true for me. It takes me, it takes a minute for me for sure to, I, I think what I'm always scanning and looking for is I want to know if someone is going to flake out, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't mind people flaking out. Like I know I flake out, but like I have to give people time and myself time to flake out. Yeah. And then, like, just wait, wait, wait. Oh, who's still hanging with me? Who's still hanging with Oh, there's Kelly. She's still here. <laughs> Kelly's in it for the long haul. I wish everyone could see the, like, hands <laughs> demonstration that you just did. Like, the rising tide of that was just so... <laughs> just, a, just a galactic composer over here. That was, that's so funny that you brought up the MFA... I mean, I think you're psychic, but while you were explaining the um, Aquarian tendency of thinking, getting getting a download and feeling like that download simultaneously like make makes you feel so powerful and like shimmery and but then also knowing like I'm oh yeah, no one else feels this way and like feeling that acutely feeling like that kind of buffer zone between you and other people. Um, I immediately thought of, uh, our experience in a writing group and how, how funny that that is, that kind of energy can translate to a quote unquote art community or whatever. Um, which is something I feel like I thematically return to in life because, um, I desperately want to be surrounded by people that I can, you know, galaxy brain out with or or just to validate that kind of sense of like, I've been somewhere, I got something and I'm bringing it back to show you like that. 
bringing it back to Kramer. I feel mm-hmm. like that's what I love about Kramer. He's in his own world doing his own thing. When he pops in, he's bringing literal fruit. You know, he's just like, I've been on this journey. You have no idea what it is. You have no, it does not have anything to do with your life at all. Check it out. I'm bringing it to you. And it's different every time. And I just, you know. Love that. Um, Feel free to cut this uh, Seinfeld (laughs) astrology. Um, But uh, so I think that the experience of the MFA, I think your description of us meeting there is right on. And I think that it's interesting to, for writers who feel one way or another that isolation or that their mind is working on something that isn't readily being worked on in the minds around them um that there's something pretty vulnerable and scary but also exciting like thrilling about bringing a piece of that brain to a writing group Mm um and I think that I am so drawn to, because of this, you know, sort of location of Aquarius for me in my life, I'm super drawn to the outsider artists and the people who um, weren't part of a mainstream movement that were saying something different and weird um, or that had lives that reflected how... um, their rejection of sort of like mainstream values and those are my people you know that's Mm -hmm. like what I gravitate toward if I'm um looking for work to energize me or inspire me um and I think that's a sort of a double-edged sword because on one hand you want this experience of being in community with other people um, and like mutually inspiring and each other and working on projects together in collaboration. And on the other hand, that collaboration is the thing that undermines your outsider status that you get, um, you know, some kind of like inspiration or validation from. Um, mm-hmm. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of, you know, dance to do around that. Yeah, how do you like how do you personally <laughs> navigate that polarity between cuz to me what it feels like I have to go inward and I have to understand the climate of the Saran- Suzanne terrain <laughs> and then I once I figure that out I have to kind of take it out to other people and try and make artwork that is meaningful for other people to understand and that's a to me that's a crazy making experience yeah it's really hard because the trick is to preserve the inner fire the inner flame yeah and not let other people's lack of understanding of what I'm doing blow that out yeah so the whole process of the MFA like we say it's to become better writers but I think what we're really doing is we're figuring out how to protect the inner flame. I totally agree with that. And so what's what was your experience with that? And what does your experience yeah. continue to be with that? Um, yeah, I think it's just a constant... Um, I think it's just constant work. 
I most of the time feel like I have this yearning to be in um, community with other artists, but then at the same time, I'm, um, I, I get a lot out of just sitting alone and working through something, you know? I think it's just a constant struggle to balance the, um, the two energies of wanting to go far and wanting to go beyond, but then also wanting to make something that resonates with other people. And so in the book that I'm working on right now, you mentioned, um, about a decade that I spent kind of working seasonally on weed farms, that experience of, I brought some of those essays to the MFA. And I think that people were so um, blown away by just the, the conceit of that mm -hmm. having happened to me, that it was like, oh, you got to turn this into a book, you know. Um, and while I appreciated that, kind of like excitement, enthusiasm, and validation, I was also so scared of what that meant that everyone was like, give me more of these stories, you know? Um, and I, of course, in my little Aquarian way, had to like take all of that feedback, bring it into me, and then figure out a way that I could still maintain um, creative and uh, ideological ownership of that story mm -hmm. without it just being sort of a story of like a zany time that I spent <laughs> in my 20s, you know? Um, so it's it was just like a process for me, you know? Of, of, I think you're completely right that the MFA is about presenting work to people who don't think like you and getting the practice getting to practice the feeling of presenting a piece of your soul or brain to people who aren't necessarily um naturally in agreement with you about mm -hmm. some of that stuff mm -hmm. i remember once we shared um essays at a workshop and you were writing about Albuquerque in 2017 and and I just immediately was like Albuquerque in 2017 my god I can't even imagine I'm so here you know in this moment and I remember someone gave the feedback of like what election are you referencing and and you know why would this why would this narrator be so afraid I think you should tease that out more like um and we just laughed about it because it was like, what world? Yeah, okay. I'll I'll add some uh, I'll add some article you know, references in here if you need if you need that. But um, so I you know it's a it seemed like the best the best part of it for me was really um, getting some feedback on the exact line where all of my interior thoughts, feelings, and interpretations of the world that feel correct to me just because they're mine run up against um, when I need to be doing a little more explanation as to how I reached that mm -hmm. conclusion. And that was super helpful. It was challenging. Um, but ultimately, if you, I think, want to bring some of those thoughts and ideas to reach a lot of people that's really necessary to figure out that line you know of yeah. where people are going to be able to meet you and then take that experience and run with it into their own lives and worlds yeah it's hard it's hard it's really hard I know 
before I went to my MFA, I, I, um, I wrote a book and I'll, I kept visualizing like opening my front door and throwing my finished manuscript (laughs) out into the world and like you deal with it now and then just being (laughs) able to like close the door and just go back to doing what I love to do which is to translate whatever the fuck my Suzanne-ness is onto a page um it scrambles my brain when I have to get into this mediator of reality yes it's really really hard and um but it's beautiful and it's necessary I've learned that the hard way I took a hard left into crazy town on the way because it just it will fuck with you (laughs) but um okay so my uh, my question my question about the book project that you have been working on for a while and that you think about a lot, um, a hundred percent comes out of my suburban childhood, which is, is there any part of you, like, like the idea of writing about weed, is there any part of you that's like, Oh, my grandma can't read this or like, are people gonna, what are people gonna think of me that I'm like, all, you know, just writing about like weed and like making weed the metaphor for the whole experience that all of us are having right now. Um, yeah. Is there any part of you that's like uncomfortable with that or, you know, what's so interesting is that I am not uncomfortable at all with people like knowing that I have smoked weed my whole life or just me being around it or having a relationship with it. Um, I do not feel any shame about that whatsoever. I fully am just like, this is a plant, get over it. Um, 100% feel like, but, but also I, I totally recognize that we live in a society that, um, you know, has told us that it's something else. And I think a lot of people have lingering ideas about what that means about me or anyone else who is using it. I do not feel that. And I'm actually excited to contribute to like, um, a, a sort of genre lineage of normalizing this stuff for people. Um, very, very stoked about that actually. I love <laughs> and in that. fact, I'm like, I, I think that, you know, my family stood witness to this era of my life where I just graduated college. I went to UC Berkeley. I think everyone in my family had like sky high hopes for me being like, I don't even know if they knew what their vision was, but they're like, Kelly's going to wear nice clothes and like go to an office. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and I, that was my vague, that was as the, the vagueness of my vision as well. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I went to school and I'm going to wear nice clothes and go to an office and, mm-hmm. and, um, and have a pair of beige flats. Oh, Absolute, yes. Like have the work suit, you know, or what? I, just like live that life of like that, you know, is a, a life that you can live. Where it's just like I don't really know what they do, but they go work in an office. Um, I I had no real conception of like how to get that, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I was just I was going through the motions and hoping I would figure it out. And mm-hmm. then I graduated in two thousand eight, um, and I remember in my final semester. Uh, I was a I was studying um, sustainable development, which lol, <laughs> it 
extremely like neoliberal thing to be studying in college <laughs> like okay yeah let's go to the global south and like pass out malaria tablets like and that's gonna fix everything mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. just kidding that's very cynical but um but you know there were there really was it felt like in that time this energy of like the world is going to change and it's all going to become sustainable sustainable was the major buzzword it was mm-hmm. like very an inconvenient truth and mm-hmm. like you know all these things were coming out where capitalism like, can be green absolutely oh yes and i was in the bay area you mm-hmm. know there were like all the tech solutions mm-hmm. to this were um it was just endless it was like possibilities of like utopia through technological development and um it was like a whole mindset Mm -hmm. and so I just thought yeah I'm gonna do this I'm gonna like I'm gonna participate in like this utopian vision via technological somehow sustainable or green development um and I remember in that spring semester uh and I don't want to mi- I don't want to minimize this like whole realm of intellectual thought this project because there there were amazing people, you know, working on this stuff. And I think mm-hmm. the way the the way I'm speaking about it is through this <laughs> jaded 2022 lens <laughs> of like, oh yeah, that really worked well. You know, I mean, it's it's um, we're living in a different world now, but it really did feel like this extremely hopeful, um, you know, pre tech completely taking over. Uh, and and making a lot of facets of our life worse, um, it felt very hopeful. Um, but the in you know after the housing crash and sort of the domino effect of that, um, which was occurring during my final semester in college, all these professors I remember were like it. It was sort of like they stopped. Um, they diverted from the script of teaching the class Mm -hmm. in a way that was sort of like a record scratch for Mm -hmm. everyone. Like they were like, okay, well we were going to talk about this today, but I think we should, you could tell that something was going on with them, with the adults, Mm -hmm. that they were sort of like buzzy and, and like, whoa, what's happening? Like they were clued into the thing that was happening. Um, and its consequences more than we a bunch of 21-year-olds could really grasp. Mm-hmm. And I was super attuned to that, but I didn't know what it really meant. Like, how could I, you know? Um, but I remember them, you know, sort of talking about the, the consequences of it and um, and not knowing what exactly that meant until I graduated into this just utterly depleted job landscape mm-hmm. um, where it just felt like, instantly overnight all the all the funding for arts or the environment just evaporated you know it was like we're not oh we're not doing that anymore like we gotta Mm -hmm. we gotta do this everyone suddenly entered this like scarcity mentality you know situation obviously everybody most everyone who's listening to this like has their own story of what happened after that but um Mm -hmm. but it felt really chaotic and and so I I uh I've talked to a friend in high school who set me up working on this farm um and it was it was the thing that sustained me and allowed me to you know like stay afloat Mm -hmm. um I ended up returning to farms to trimming or just taking care of plants seasonally through the decade and sort of witnessed 
um, the decline of that industry. But for a brief period of time, um, it felt like I had found something that was actually gonna keep me alive where I could just be in my life, not having to, um, make a huge sacrifice to be miserable Mm -hmm. in order to pay my rent. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of that is to say that I think to me, it felt like very equal parts. Like I did what I had to do and I, I did exactly what I felt like doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably mystifying to my family at the time who were like, what the heck you went mm-hmm. to college? Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? You know, um, where getting a job became a completely different idea for, you know, the generations that followed. So in a way, of course, um, I'm excited to write the book because it feels like it's my opportunity to present, um, that experience that maybe at the time even sort of felt like flailing and chaotic as now I can look back on it and, and say, that was pretty smart, actually. Mm -hmm. Like you did the things that you, um, needed to do. You, and, and you supported yourself through an extremely unstable global moment. Um, and I, I come from a family who that um, really respects and understands work as mm-hmm. a, you know, as a, an inclination or a way to spend your life or something to fixate on. Um, my parents both work worked a lot, worked really hard. And work was sort of the nexus of their maybe understanding of themselves mm-hmm. or like how society should function. You know, a lot of that stuff has since become, uh, I think, obsolete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just the idea that people who work are good and that if you work, you deserve things and that if you don't have the things that you want it's because you don't work you know like that old mentality Mm -hmm. um but uh but I think that a lot of the story revolves around um the work itself which I found extremely gratifying Mm -hmm. you know and that kind of took me it wasn't just uh that I had found a place to make some money um or that would allow me to move to Portland and, you know, try to be a writer. Um, although it did, mm-hmm. but it was, it was actually more about just the action, you know, and actually taking care of a piece of land or plants on that land that felt like the opposite of all the sort of high intellectual work that I'd been doing in college that was so... Um, mm. speculative speculative and I imagine also void of a psychedelic experience yeah. which because your moon is in Pisces there is I imagine this need to always be holding the door open for alternate realities mm-hmm. and your ability to soothe yourself by popping in to those alternate realities in a way where you can bring back, you can bring back what you're learning in those experiences 
um, to create meaning out of this life. And if you, something about the moon, I feel with astrology is that yes, the sun sign is important, but I almost, I almost feel like the moon is in constant need of like crisis care and triage Mm. because we tend to, in grind culture, we don't inherently take care of our needs. And I would say like with your moon being in Pisces, like you have this fundamental need to dip into a kind of psychic, what probably feels like a psychedelic experience or an ability to go into the impossible Mm. um, as a way of right sizing yourself so that you can like do this other thing that is impossible, which is to be alive and to stay sane and to participate in reality and make money and support yourself and offer love unconditionally. All of that's impossible. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so in a lot of ways I hear a story of like fate kind of stepping in for you and giving you this space to exercise that psychedelic moon. Absolutely. That resonates a lot. I think the the need to dip into a space that feels like magic could happen is very dominant in my just everyday state of being. And I think that that is, I won't say at odds with the, the Virgo sort of um, like put your pants on and make something out of this that the world will pay you for, which is, you know, I mean, it's really what we're kind of up against. Um, but I feel like I really like to ride the line of those things. And, and constantly in my art practice, I'm trying to retain that that Pisces, that like psychedelic space, um, but present it in a polished way that feels organized. For some reason to me, that seems like a really interesting dichotomy Mm -hmm. of like you, uh, of, of, um, translating that untranslatable experience into something that another person could read and maybe, you know, ping off the, the, the interior space of themselves that, as you said, our daily capitalist life really makes it hard to check in with. Totally. And, um, yeah. That makes me think of um, Maggie Nelson and how she, I think I heard in an interview with her one time, um, she was expressing the frustration with this idea that words aren't enough, mm-hmm. that like... No, I think this, I think she says this in the Argonauts that this idea that life is, you can't actually articulate like the immensity of life, but she feels like, she's like, no, I think words are enough. Mm. I think that you can. (laughs) And something I always say about um, being a writer is that I suffer from the delusion that words are enough and that I can articulate, you know, like I want to give it the old college try. I do want to articulate like this ineffable, mysterious experience of being alive. Um, and also that's why I liked, you know, I'm a Scorpio, I'm very eighth house and I, believe that if I craft 
the um, if I put the right words together, I can craft a sentence that will make people psychically understand like how I'm processing reality. Yeah, that's probably not true, but I'm gonna die trying. I completely identify with that. I feel like I um, I think that a lot in my interpersonal relationships that I'm just like you know what, one day I'm going to find the perfect sentence to say to this person. And I will literally have conversations with myself to this person, trying out these different phrases to like heft the magic of the phrase. Like, oh God, this is going to change everything. Really what that's about is like (laughs) wanting to control the emotional state of others or like how they act, you know, in the world or Mm -hmm. just like carry on. And you know, so I think it's like a totally dead impulse, but also <laughs> I am 100% there with you. you know? Yeah. And I think it, the thing is, is though, is that within art, I think the struggle to articulate that inevitable is, um, I like to read people's attempts at doing that, you know, and especially even if, if they're conscious of it, if they're not conscious of it, um, I think there's there's a lot of writing that doesn't even try to do that, you know. That's not um, that's just telling a good yarn to. And I love a love to read a yarn, you know. Love to read that kind of thing where you're just like um, locked in and it's a romp and you're just rolling along and that feels great too. That's like so useful in the world to just like occupy the mind and be um, like let it live in this other space for a while. Um, and I feel like, uh, so, you know, no shade on that. I'm literally reading Jurassic Park right now. Are you? Yes. And oh my it's, God. it's like, I, and that, that, I love to read that shit in a, mm-hmm. in addition to the Maggie Nelson, you know, because it's like knowing, feeling conscious or of the fact that there are multiple ways to approach this medium feels Mm -hmm. really important to me Mm -hmm. and learning to differentiate one book from another one author from another feels very helpful to me in Mm -hmm. writing my own thing because then you can if you can learn to recognize the wide universe that includes Michael Crichton and Maggie Nelson and you know you and and sort of be able to create a map of that in your brain then you can place yourself on it and that visually that Mm -hmm. feels important for me when I'm trying to you know, like reverse engineer a tone or, mm-hmm. um, or locate a story within that universe and, and sort of map it and work mm-hmm. toward being in that location, you know? Yeah. Something that I noticed and really appreciated about, um, the, the last poetry book that you published, The New World, was the structure that you utilized. And something that I like to say, Um, and I'm waiting for it to catch on, but it hasn't yet, is that (laughs) the structure is the story. Yeah. Because when I was reading, when I was reading it, your structure changed really dramatically. And what I articulated to you as soon as I finished reading it was that like that book for me was, it was an experience more than anything else. Like you took me into, you literally took me and placed me into a different world where you eventually like, 
like I went through some kind of weird portal and then like was like birthed out. Like you like <laughs> take the reader and literally make them enter a new world. And um it was it was so psychedelic. And I guess my question around that is do you feel like with that structure being the story, do you feel like that is true of every piece that you craft. Um, and someone who literally is a potter and is making vessels and making structures, or are there times for you where just the same old, like, you know, hero's journey is working for mm-hmm. you just fine? Oh, yeah. I think every project has its own set of conditions that will make it... Um, that allows it to be what it needs to be. And I feel like for the new world, first of all, I remember when you told me that and I was like, this is the greatest reaction I could have ever hoped for because I really did um, want that, the structure of the book to be part of the experience and to create um, the experience that I was going for. Um, I think all of my writing projects at least will sort of begin as me being fixated on an idea. And then as I sort of turn that idea over in my mind, um, I think of different ways to like talk about it or approach it. Um, the new world was, I feel like I knew that the title was going to be the new world of that book. Like as soon as the first poem was written, Mm. I just, I knew that that was what I wanted to write around. And it was, had so much to do with um feeling like and many people I'm sure would agree with this that like after the 2016 election feeling like the world had like split you know and that we there was something that happened we crossed the threshold where we weren't gonna come back from it and like that maybe um you know who knows what would happen in the future but I think in that moment it really felt like we all kind of fell off the cliff or like, you know, left the earth or something, but something different happened. It definitely felt like a before and after. And, um, and so I was very interested in that idea of something being able to change so significantly, like the entire landscape of a collective experience. That was one of the themes I was thinking of. Um, and, but I, I was also, my experience of that change, um, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of unification of thought and feeling online. Everyone was sort of, you know, talking about the same thing, at least, I mean, you know, this relates to the kind of echo chamber um, effect that people have been talking about for the past years of everyone sort of living in this like online communities of just confirmation bias basically mm-hmm. but the thing the people the people that I was looking at and following and listening to it just you know was reflecting back to me sort of the same feelings I was having having of just fear and disgust and and uncertainty and um you know and like anger a lot of anger and uh but then offline the feeling of just being an individual in that world 
um, that's being presented to you <laughs> online is so lonely and atomizing. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Jay and I had just moved to um, Northern California to live basically in this little guest house that's right next to um, a, a whole range of sand dunes on like a completely vacant beach. And I was so interested in um, that dichotomy of how things could feel so chaotic in one sphere of consciousness. But then when left to live your own life, you can sort of, if you shut everything else out, achieve this weird tranquility, even when that mess is swirling all around in the psychic space. So... You know, that's kind of a weird, heady space to be in, to be like, I'm going to write a book about this. Like, what is that? What is that even, you know? Um, and so I wanted to, I, I really, I didn't write the sections of the book in the order that they are presented. Yeah. Um, but the way that it, the way that it's laid out is that the opening piece there are five parts the opening piece is an essay called art during wartime and it i wanted it to feel kind of like a treatise in a way Mm -hmm. um but it's an essay and it it feels very it felt very important to me to start with an essay because i felt like poetry was so inaccessible Mm -hmm. in that moment in time or or more difficult to access um I myself didn't have a lot of patience for poetry mm-hmm. in that time. I feel like the world did not feel whimsical or beautiful or magical to me. And I felt like I needed to bring someone into that um, through prose. Mm-hmm. That's what felt like the dominant thing that people were responding to or could mm-hmm. understand. So that's the first piece. And then um, the second piece was sort of like prose blocks of um just my sort of day-to-day life living on that dune Mm -hmm. and really leaned into the psychedelica psychedelia of that experience um and then sort of getting to palm so it felt like uh I really I really liked the idea of bringing someone into poetry and Mm -hmm. into fragmented thought Mm -hmm. um from the portal of like an organized treatise or Mm -hmm. manifesto um because to me it also felt like that's what happened during those years is that we all began with these sort of organized ideas of what was and what wasn't and then just over time um all of that dripped away and Mm -hmm. became fragmented and aerosolized into a million different directions and I feel like now we're living in this interesting place where we no longer have like a shared concrete reality you know and yeah that that's a completely new thing for us all to adjust to as a society so um but I don't think I need to that structure served a very specific purpose for that book you mm-hmm. know um but other projects I think carry their own parameters of mm-hmm. how they need to come forward to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like pottery the pottery business is something I, I think about and struggle with a lot and I, I feel really called to change it in this new year. Um, I basically have a constant fear of ending up creatively in a place where I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I think that my art practice up until this point and hopefully beyond into the future is a total reflection of that like I really will get interested in a specific type of medium like for a while it was collage and mm -hmm. I was like doing a lot of collages and and creating a lot of work sharing it and then just one day I felt like I don't identify with this anymore and I'm ready to move on um and I think it's that moving around that like staying in creative motion that makes me feel like I can tap into what's actually happening in the moment that we exist in instead of kind of perpetuating a thing that I began to do five years ago just because I don't have other ideas or something oh my gosh I relate <laughs> I just relate to that so deeply it's so hard because everything in our culture is like telling you to just pick one thing and stick with it until you're a quote-unquote expert yes mastery yeah I I think that's why ultimately the word artist works for me because I feel like I come at everything from the standpoint of an artist first and then pff, some words come out <laughs> of this area and that's my that's my favorite tool mm -hmm. The astrology is another appendage that is shooting out from the artistry um, because that helps me formulate a worldview outside of capitalism. Like, my default will always go into the structure of capitalism because I'm fucking lazy. Yeah. And so I'm like, no, I got to practice this astrology because that busts that open and it's yeah. weird enough for me so that I can, like, get my creative juices going and then also some kind of like maybe spiritual appendage comes out too. But it all circulates back to the wheelhouse of artist. And that's comfortable for me, you know. Um, but it also has to evolve constantly, which yes. I think is what an artist is doing. Absolutely. And I just want to say that your, your like mental um, picture of how to be and and what you should do is not reverting to a capitalist structure because you're fucking lazy. <laughs> like that in itself is like, no, no, no. It's just because that's what is presented to us, you know, that like, I was thinking, I, I, I mean, the, the definite, I feel like capitalism as a word gets like thrown around a lot, but, um, I feel like the working definition that I try to like grab onto for capitalism is just like this pyramid shape that's projected onto everything in which the accrual of wealth translates into power and freedom whether that is like power in your own life or power over others or whatever you know the more money you have equals the more agency you have the more money you have that that means that you know the belief in capital is the thing that creates and legitimizes how, what we see as human beings or, or anything in the world of value. Mm -hmm. um, and 
that is so hard. That is a really impossible space to occupy if you want to identify as an artist, which I do as well, because the default behavior that you need to um, take on is, you know, creating content or creating an object for someone to give you money for, to, for it to like, you know, validate that. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like I get a lot of, uh, especially like younger writers, they're like, how did you get to this point of writing, publishing books or any of that? And I just, the, the actual answer is that you have to do so much work for free for such a long time you know Mm -hmm. and that's not always the case but um but it's true like there were uh, uh, until I'm 36 and until I think like a couple years ago um and it was through this pottery business like I did not make any money doing creative anything Mm -hmm. I had a job and like my creativity was something that I um, that gave me enough energy and, like, life force <laughs> to wake up the next morning and go to my job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard and rare, I would say, to, like, merge those two things. And, um, I think if you even manage to merge them, like, I feel very lucky that I have been able to pay my rent with my creative outlet Now I'm at this point where I'm like, this isn't my creative outlet anymore. This is my job. Mm -hmm. And so this is the, the, the rotation of, of craft and that motion that I'm talking about of like always trying to stay in motion. Um, it's so necessary. I think if you want to keep that flame going, but it's also really hard because you, it requires constant sort of restructuring of the approach and the idea. So... Wish me luck on that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's an invitation. <laughs> right. I have ideas. I, I've really been locking into it more and more. Um, but it's, it's hard because they're not, there are not a lot of examples of what it might look like if you just were constantly following a creative impulse and also were managing to, you know, pay rent. Yeah. Who's an example of someone who, or who like, who's, I like to say it this way, like who solves that problem for you mm. where you can look at their work and it's constantly solving that problem for you? Or is there a person yeah. whose work is doing that? I think that, um, I think in my mind, I look to a lot of people who are doing maybe a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then in the amalgamation of all those different people doing a a part, then I sort of piece together things that might be possible, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I feel like um, all of this that we're talking about is aspirational, you Mm -hmm. know? And, like, as soon as you feel like... As soon as I feel like I have figured it out and nailed it down and now I'm just coasting, man... um, something else changes and I need to change up, change it up, you know? Um, I think that, uh, so this, I'm really inspired by businesses that are small businesses, um, that are starting to leave social media Mm -hmm. and they're 
um, you know, just recognizing that the, it's a totally predatory platform mm-hmm. and way of communicating with people um, that we increasingly don't have a lot of control over and starting to shift over to a model of like newsletters, you know, sending direct updates to people in a different uh, medium that's not just trying to grab their eyeball attention uh, against their will. <laughs> I love that. Um, I really like that approach and idea. Um, and I like, I'm just very inspired by people who, um, follow their impulses and do sort of one-off projects that maybe don't fit their quote unquote brand, but that they're just making stuff, you know, that Mm -hmm. it shows me that they're humans, um, can have fixations that change just Mm -hmm. like in our lives. Like one month we might get really upset. I mean, okay. For, for example, like we, I feel like we, we love to pretend that, um, people all have this specialization and like Instagram really rewards the showcasing of that specialization. If you have Mm -hmm. consistent, um, photos or Mm -hmm. a message and you're just blasting that consistency out you will be rewarded Mm -hmm. um and that freaks me out because Mm -hmm. in life that's not at all how it works or how what we should aspire to like over the winter um I am not a finance person I am like a stoner who's obsessed with economics and in (laughs) January I was like I'm gonna learn what NFTs are. And we have had our little chats about, you know, like my I put my little crypto tinfoil hat on <laughs> and I just go freaking ham. I love it. Yes. I'm so obsessed with it. I'm like, I have just I like follow the prices of these things. I'm like mm-hmm. interested in the stock market. I'm interested in this whole gross, disgusting, dehumanizing world. Because, metaphorically, it represents something so fascinating to me. It's Mm -hmm. this massive stream of energy flowing through the world. And I love to just kind of, like, follow it as it goes and be like, keep an eye on you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But where does that have a place in my artistic practice that I show people, you know? Behind the posts um, and the you know, essay content or the books or whatever in between all of these finished, polished art projects is this weird realm of those one-off fixations. Right. And, and phases and whatever. And, um, and I just keep having this vision of how to marry that human impulse of seasonal fixation Mm -hmm. with, um, the, you know, consist larger consistency of having a body of work that people can identify as yours. Yeah. It's such a hard, it's such a hard one because I, I mean, like you said, like you and I, we will engage in these total, I don't want to say conspiracy theory (laughs) because I want to elevate what we talk about. I, I think that I avoided 
going down those rabbit holes for years of my life because I was like, that's what crazy people like whatever, what's the dude's name that the, the Unabomber. Oh yeah. Like I was like, that's like, I, is this how the Unabomber felt when he would get onto the internet and start researching theories? But the reality is like, that shit feels good. I love it. I want to go down the research (laughs) rabbit hole and um, it surprises me endlessly when I pop out and the people around me don't want to talk about what I learned. So the fact that you and I like to talk about it is an indulgence that, yeah. like, that's probably why we're bonded for life. Because other people don't want to hear it, and I don't get why. To me, that is beyond fascinating. And it's scratching itches that are otherwise unreachable. Like, I'm like, oh, shit, this I, feels amazing. I completely agree, and I think it... Like, maybe you were talking about your Scorpio tendencies. I feel was, I feel like, in my mind, Scorpio is, like, very, like, at home in this, like, kind of secretive dark, yeah. you know? And I don't know. I, I, do I have any Scorpio in my... So you're... That's so interesting because your Scorpio... I was just looking at this. Your Scorpio is in your... Um, it's partly in your second house and partly in your third house. Like your communication style is a mix of Scorpio and Sagittarius. So Mm. part of it is like, this is what I researched. And the other part is like, and this is how I built a worldview out of that research. Mm. Now I'm going to communicate it. Mm. So a hundred percent. And that's like ultimately what you want to be talking about. And this, and that's the style that you want to be talking about it. Yeah. I love, like, yeah, the see, the secretive stuff feels very, um, I, I vibe with that a lot. I think with all of these things, especially this, like, I, I guess I've just recently been, um, just thinking about, or like tapping into how scary it is for, I don't know, it's a, it seems like condescending to say uh, you know, some people, but I think a lot of people just feel afraid of going inside, you know, Mm -hmm. and that it's easier, um, which is totally makes sense because it's really fucking hard to confront yourself and to confront the, um, you know, sort of like the, the, the more challenging or negative aspects of, of your, personality that you've developed you know it's like sucks to be like oh yeah crap I this is how I come off to people um but I think that I'm we talked a lot about how in 2020 it felt like I mean after after the whole years of Trump and feeling like all that darkness was like bubbling up um and just on full display that was really um, hard to see, hard to stomach, but also don't you feel like it was like validating or in some way to just be like, yeah, I knew it. Mm -hmm. I knew that was in there. Mm -hmm. And I felt the same way about, um, you know, all the stuff that came up around COVID and just like, look at how our institutions are so, um, not ready to help us, Mm -hmm. like not primed to step in and solve any problems at all. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I feel like at this point it, it's been a lot, um, for everyone. There's, it seems like immense suffering, uh, 
And, but on top of that, or I guess in opposition to that, is this extremely powerful, like, truth that feels like it's being exposed. Um, that's like, yeah, we need to change everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that for some people that feels like terrifying, you know, mm-hmm. because you, we all need to create some kind of foundation that makes sense to us that we can just build our lives on and feel like, okay, this is my unshakable foundation. Mm-hmm. I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. These are my choices. And, and to reconsider any of that can feel literally like it threatens your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm going to yeah. push a little further on that too, because what I would say is that, especially with your Aquarian downloads, what you're articulating is not what we need to do. You're, I feel like you're articulating what we're going to do, mm. but we're not prepared to do. And yeah. so you're feeling the dissonance between those two. So you need to talk about that. Mm. But of course, you're also sensitive to the fact that other people aren't necessarily ready to hear that. Yeah. Well, and that makes me think, like, I think for the past X amount of years or whatever, I felt really attached to identifying the things that were maybe not, like, visible to society at large or something yet, but that were going to be. Um, Or something that I felt was, like, rise, you know, on the horizon or whatever. And now I I feel like I'm really drawn to um, the idea of what comes after all of the grossness is exposed, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to shift the articulation of that stuff into what does what does positive action toward an actual tangible future look like? Well, Kelly, thank you so much. <laughs> For being on my podcast. Oh my god, you're so welcome. And I love you. I love you too. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. It's like, god, it's such an amazing blessing that we live in the same place and that we can just hang out in Galaxy Bird. So, thank you. <laughs>